I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and this is my 85th sermon on the biblical design of gender, in which my point is that the church was born out of death. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if we learn nothing else from our belief in Jesus Christ, we should learn that we are going to live forever. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on July 31st, this beautiful Lord's Day morning, and uh, our text for the morning is in the first verse of the 11th chapter of the book of John, and that verse reads as follows. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany of the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. And now, our gracious and heavenly Father, be pleased to please let us preach your word, not for fame or for reputation, but to the end that some might be made better, that some might benefit, that some might believe, and that some might be saved. We thank you, Lord, for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and we ask you to let him feed us until we want no more. In the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, amen. Now, thank you for listening and thinking with me as we study God's word so that we can obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife, so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now at the point in history in which this episode is recorded, Jesus has recruited additional help to spread his ministry. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 3 records, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Jesus is deputizing these 82 men with power to spread his ministry. Luke chapter 10, verse 9 through 12 says that Jesus tells them and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us, 
we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And I would not want to be in the city that rejected Jesus or his men on judgment day. While waiting for his men to complete their work, Jesus retired to the town of Bethany from which he had received an invitation. Martha, one of the leading ladies and hostesses in Bethany, asked Jesus to come and stay with her and her family, even as Simon the Pharisee had invited Jesus to his home. Martha had a sister named Mary, who was very impressed by Jesus' ministry and was excited to have Jesus in the house so that she could pick his brain. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and 39 records, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Knowing Jesus' personal penchant for penetrating profundity while lecturing on the lessons of the law, Mary listened to Jesus intently. Psalm 109 verse 105 tells us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Mary wanted her path lit. Mary and her brother Lazarus sat at Jesus' feet and took in the edifying and energizing information imparted by Jesus. But suddenly, as their mental thirst was being quenched at Jesus' intellectual fountain, Jesus' logical and spiritual flow was disrupted as his wise sayings were interrupted. Mary, Lazarus, and Jesus were disrupted when Martha's non-spiritual problem erupted. Luke chapter 10, verse 40 tells us, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Martha wanted Mary to stop scrutinizing the scripture and help her on her way to becoming the hostess with the mostess. Martha was more concerned about the minutia of the meal than the cogent coaching of the Christ. Now, the thing that Martha did not realize was that Jesus' visit was not about her. Jesus' visit was not about her preparations. It was not about her meal. It was not about her. And many people get confused about this. We all have lives, but life is not about us. I often mention Psalm 90 and 10 in my teaching, which says, the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Why do I mention this passage of scripture? Well, 
some of us here are past the halfway point in life. And it is important for us to realize that God is in control of the entire universe. God is busy causing worlds to twirl on their axes. God is busy putting vitamins in vegetables and proteins in meat. God is busy creating galaxy after galaxy and overseeing the activities of the angels. And God tells us that our stay here on this planet is to be somewhere between 70 and 80 years. God lets us know up front that we are not going to be here forever. But I still hear people when their elderly parents hear the steady march of the chariot wheels from the sky and their lights go out like a vessel not filled with oil and their life is extinguished like a flickering candle in the wind, I still hear people say, Oh, why did God do this to me? God isn't doing anything to you. God gives us all dominion. God gives us a certain amount of time on this earth to exercise dominion, and that's it. It's not personal. God isn't doing anything to you. If your parents are older than 70, they have lived the full life that God has promised them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should throw all 70-year-olds off a cliff or stop praying for their health. Some people will make 80. My uncle just died at 92. But I'm telling you that life past 70 is not promised to any of us, and it is not negligence on the part of God if our elderly loved ones die. God tells us this up front so that we will be prepared. It was not negligence on Jesus's or Mary's part that Mary was not busy serving with Martha. Mary was learning from Jesus, which is more important than serving. Martha, it's not about you. But Jesus had been in this situation before. Luke chapter 4 verse 3 tells us, And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. While Jesus was busy preparing for his ministry and consecrating himself to God, the very devil endeavored to distract Jesus into focusing on food. But Luke chapter 4 verse 4 tells us, but Jesus answered the devil, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But as a temptation, there is something about food. Did you know that the first sin in the Bible was related to food? The first biblical episode in which a birthright was lost was related to food. The first problem in the New Testament church 
after the ascension of the risen Savior and the descending of the Holy Spirit was related to food. Did you know that the only acceptable sin in the Bible is gluttony? If I were to come by your house after church for dinner, the only sin that you would try to get me to commit is to stuff myself. Yes, food. Something happens to people when you start talking about food. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus compared and contrasted the relative merits of taking in food versus taking in the word of God. Jesus had just completed a 40-day fast and was hungry, but Jesus was so full of the word of God that the devil could not tempt him to use his power to turn stones into bread for his own sustenance. Jesus decided not to break his fast, giving us the example that we ought to keep our commitments to God rather than indulge any appetite that we have, be it for food or anything else. So although Jesus needed meals as we do, his focus was not on eating, and certainly not on the preparation of lavish lunches, but on teaching the totality of the word of God. And Jesus gently communicated that point to Martha. Luke chapter 10, verse 41 and 42 records, And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. By that good part, Jesus meant absorbing his teaching of the word of God. Jesus came to teach because the activities of the Jewish leadership showed that as shepherds of the people, the Jewish leaders did not exactly know how they were supposed to lead the flock. For example, Jesus had a run-in with a lawyer while they were both in the synagogue. The lawyer was an expert in the law of Moses. The lawyer had attended the correct schools and graduated with honors. He found himself in the presence of Jesus, who, in his opinion, was an itinerant rabbi an informal, unlearned teacher with no training and no degrees. So this lawyer decided to quiz the presumptuous rabbi with a general question usually reserved for first-year law students. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 records, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't ponder the question, nor did he hesitate in his response. In Luke chapter 10, verse 26, Jesus said to the lawyer, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Ha, thought the lawyer, this Galilean prophet doesn't even know the answer to the most elementary question. I better do something to help this boy since he doesn't even know the basics of the scripture. So in Luke 10 and 27, so the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
And the lawyer was surprised when in Luke chapter 10, verse 28, and Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Hmm, the lawyer said to himself, I don't think he got the message. I'm the one with the law degrees and the law practice. I'm the authority and the teacher of the law. I'm testing him, and he talks like he's testing me. He must not know who I am. Let me give him a question that requires a legal opinion and see how he handles it. So Luke chapter 10 verse 29 tells us, but the lawyer wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You finally asked the real question, said Jesus to himself. Out loud in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 32, then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Jesus is pointing out that the Jewish religious leaders all left the half-dead man on the side of the road because it was contrary to the Mosaic law for a priest or Levite to touch a dead body. The man was wounded and appeared to be on the verge of death. But is this a proper application of the law for a holy man to refuse to help someone who is alive because they might die and defile him? Jesus came to teach because the activities of the Jewish leaders showed that as shepherds of the people, the Jewish leaders did not exactly know how they were supposed to lead the flock. Jesus made it clear that this application of the law was incorrect. Luke chapter 10, verse 33 to 35 records, but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus made the point that a Samaritan, one that the Jewish leaders despised because of his background, acted in a more godly fashion than those that administered the temple. And then Jesus asked the lawyer in Luke 10, 36, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The lawyer said to himself, that story really showed the failing of those that are stuck on the minutia of the law while describing the loving function of one who is a neighbor. So the lawyer responded to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, and the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him.
And Jesus thought to the lawyer, from now on, stay off the other side of the road. Out loud in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Similarly, in our lesson, Jesus was sitting in Martha, Mary, and Lazarus's house, relating episodes like that of the Good Samaritan. Mary and Lazarus were listening with rapt attention in order to process that which Jesus said. Martha, on the other hand, was trying to impress Jesus with her preparation of an immaculate dinner. Just as with the priest and the Levite, the ladder of impressing God that Martha was trying to climb was leaning against the wrong building. But even Martha, who did not sit and listen to Jesus, was impressed by Jesus' presentation. Once a person experiences Jesus' teaching, their old thought and habits tend to change. And it was a good thing that Jesus made such an impression on the sisters because soon they would find themselves in a desperate situation and had they not known to call on Jesus, desperation would have turned into catastrophe. Our text, John chapter 11, verse 1, tells us, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the house of the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. In our church, we spend time on our individual concerns because the hymnologist tells us what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So when Lazarus fell ill, Martha and Mary sent for Jesus. John chapter 11 verse 3 tells us, Therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The sisters had every expectation that Jesus would come immediately, but Jesus did not. John chapter 11 verse 4 records, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus assured his disciples that Lazarus was not going to die and stayed where he was with his disciples. The disciples thought that Jesus was avoiding Judea because of the death threats against him by the Jewish leaders. But actually, Jesus was simply waiting for a certain event to happen before he went to see about Lazarus. John chapter 11, verse 11 records, These things Jesus said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. But the disciples did not understand. Generally speaking, the ability to rest is a sign that the body is recuperating from an illness. But Lazarus was not resting. John chapter 11 verse 14 and 15 records, 
Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. When Jesus reached the sister's home, those that were there were mourning. John chapter 11 verse 17 through 19 says, So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now from the scripture, the Jews inferred that a person should be buried within 24 hours of their death. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 tells us about the burial of a man who was executed by hanging. It says his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you and as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So Jesus intentionally did not return to Bethany until Lazarus was buried and the mourners from Jerusalem could make the journey to Bethany to comfort Martha and Mary. Jesus arrived while the morning was in full swing and when Martha heard that Jesus was on his way to her home, she ran out to meet him. John chapter 11 verse 20 and 21 records, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha knew that Jesus healed the sick, which is why she sent for Jesus when Lazarus fell ill. But Martha also knew that Jesus raised the dead. The widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter were two examples of the dead that Jesus raised. But neither the widow of Nain's son nor Jairus' daughter had been buried. Jesus did not have to open a grave, but raised them before they could be buried. Lazarus, however, was a different case. Lazarus was dead and buried and had been so for four days. But Martha, nonetheless, was hopeful that Jesus still might be able to do something. So Martha, very tentatively and indirectly, asked Jesus for help. John chapter 11, verse 22 records that Martha said, But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus did not hesitate, but told Martha that her faith in calling on him would be rewarded. John chapter 11, verse 23 tells us, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Lazarus will rise again? That sounded like a straightforward statement. But since Lazarus had been dead for four days, you can understand Martha's hesitation in thinking that Jesus was talking 
about a resurrection. So Martha responded in John chapter 11, verse 24. Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus did not hesitate, but responded in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John three sixteen and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The truth of the matter is that people never actually die. However, people do leave this world to go to live in a different environment. And Jesus has come to earth to demonstrate this truth. Lazarus's death gave Jesus the opportunity to make an ocular demonstration of his power over death so that those of us that can read history and believe in Jesus can also receive the mind of Christ and lose our fear of death. The church was born out of death. Jesus Christ died on the cross, followed by all the apostles and an estimated 1.5 million martyrs who were executed in the first 400 years of church history. If our belief in Jesus Christ teaches us nothing else, we should be assured that we have everlasting life. Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And Jesus had the opportunity in this historical episode to prove his mastery over death. Martha affirmed her confidence in the Lordship of Jesus and having received hope from Jesus, called for Mary to come. John chapter 11, verse 28, 27, 28, and 32 records, Martha said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when Martha had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The Jews that had come to mourn noticed when Martha left the house, but when Mary left as well, they decided to follow her. The Bible tells us that Jesus was affected by Mary's grief, but when the Jews saw Jesus, they had the same recrimination for Jesus that Martha and Mary expressed, that Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying. 
John chapter 11, verse 35 to 37 says, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, Jesus, who opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man, Lazarus, from dying? The answer to this question is yes, but Jesus chose not to do so. Jesus knew when Lazarus became ill, when he died, and when he was buried. But Jesus tarried until the burial was over before traveling to Bethany. Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but Jesus arrived in Bethany four days after Lazarus died intentionally. When the message of Lazarus's illness sent by the sisters reached Jesus, Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And now that Lazarus is dead and buried, the Son of God is about to be glorified. Jesus, Martha, and Mary, and the disciples proceeded to the tomb in which Lazarus was laid. And of course, the Jewish contingent, mourning along with the sisters, followed them to the tomb. And when everyone reached the burial place, which was a cave seal shut by a stone, the stage was set. John chapter 11, verse 39 records, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Martha, bless her heart, is still all about the business of arranging a ceremony. Of course there's a stench, Martha. Bodies decay and rotting flesh stinks. No question. But Jesus did not ask Martha about the condition of the body. Jesus instructed them to remove the stone from the door. Jesus had to remind Martha that he had not come to the tomb to mourn or to commemorate Lazarus in some way, but to prove that he, Jesus, was the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not need the stone removed so that he could go in and see the body. Lazarus needed the stone removed so that he could walk out of the tomb. So Jesus told Martha to have faith. John chapter 11 verse 40 says, Jesus said to Martha, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they moved the stone and watched the Lord work. John chapter 11, verse 41 through 44 records, Then they took away the stone for the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when Jesus had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, 
bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And Jesus was not just talking to Martha. Jesus was talking to everyone that believes in his name. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 through 15 speaks to us about Jesus' relation to us and to death as it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Jesus has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and Jesus has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Do you know what death is? Death is the cessation of earthly life, but since life is actually everlasting, more importantly, from an eternal perspective, death is the wages of sin. Death began in the garden and in the flood because of sin and will end when all sinners are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. But there is a book of life in which is recorded the names of those that have taken the opportunity to do as Martha and Mary did when their brother died. They called on Jesus and rolled away the stone so that Lazarus could leave the tomb after Jesus raised him, changed him from dead to alive, and released him from the death debt that he owed for the sins that he had committed. And we all owe that death debt of sin, as Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praises be to God, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all we have to do to receive the grace gift of eternal life with Jesus is to call on him, on Jesus Christ. A criminal who testified against himself that he was being executed justly while dying on the cross next to Jesus called on Jesus while they were both on the cross. And Jesus responded, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, and Jesus said to the criminal, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus can and will save any sinner from the guttermost to the uttermost. Jesus tells us in John chapter 5, verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, 
he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So let us open up our hearts today and roll away the stone that covers our hearts and causes us to disobey God so that Jesus can send his Holy Spirit into our heart, save us from judgment, and allow us to pass from death unto life. And when we do so, all of our sins fall away from us, as Romans chapter 13, verse 9 and 10 tells us, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And having received the new heart and new spirit, let us fulfill God's law as we keep Jesus' new commandment. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 tells us, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, our Father, we thank you this morning for giving us the lesson of the raising of Lazarus. Help us to recognize that we did not come here to stay, but that there is another land to which we are traveling where the wicked cease from troubling and where the weary are at rest. And give us that confident assurance that we can know without the shadow of a doubt that even as you raise Lazarus, you will quicken our mortal bodies as well and allow us to be with you in that heavenly realm. Lord, now we thank you for all that are in the house today. And we ask you that you would give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.